The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Friday edition of PFTPM. Apologies for not doing it Thursday. A storm blew through moments after we started taping. It knocked the power out in my office. We have a generator for the house. For whatever reason, it did not kick in, at least as it relates to electricity, into my office. So we eventually decided, what the hell, I'll just do it Friday. I hope that any of you who ask questions on Thursday have asked them again for Friday. We're going to get to questions coming up. Got a few NFL news items to get to before we answer your questions and before we wrap up this week. This is the last full week of the offseason programs, but the news will continue. I understand that some think the NFL shuts down completely over the next five or six weeks, and it is slower than it is, than it has been. It will be, but there's still content. There's still issues. There's still news. There are still storylines. I was talking to someone yesterday about the reality that in early July, when NBA free agency begins, there will be plenty of stories about plenty of NFL players complaining about NBA players that we've never heard of making more money than star NFL players. That's coming. That's one of the boxes to check. So plenty of stuff still to discuss, plenty of things still to happen. And one of the big watch and wait dynamics for the next five or six weeks whether or not Dak Prescott gets a new contract with the Dallas Cowboys and this whole new money analysis thing I have been railing against this and it really does hurt players it helps agents when you can calculate a contract a new contract in a way that makes it seem like it's better than it is and it's a very simple analysis what happens is When a player gets a new contract, and there's never an extension, folks. I think I've said this before. I was going to say stop me if you've heard this before, but you can't really stop me because this isn't interactive. It's not live. You don't have a way to tell me to shut up, although you may be telling me to shut up right now and get to your point. I will. I shall. Here we go. There's never an extension of a contract. They rip up what's left, and they write a brand new contract. Sometimes the reporting allows you to think that the original contract expires and then the new contract kicks in. That's not how it works. The old contract is gone. A new contract is put in its place. And that new contract can be valued in two different ways. One, you can focus on what the new contract is worth from the moment it is signed. And that new contract is always a standalone document. If it's a four-year extension, it's a new five-year contract, and what was left under the last deal is gone forever. If you characterize it as an extension, in most cases, the numbers sound better. And that's where Dak Prescott has found himself in a vice. Because whoever told Clarence Hill of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, and I assume it's someone from the team... Throwing out this idea that Dak Prescott wants $34 million a year, that's not the total value of the contract. That's the value at 
not at signing, but it's the new money value, $34 million. And I've crunched the numbers, and we've talked about this. I was on radio in Dallas today because they were going nuts about $34 million. Look, it's really $27.6 million when you factor in the $2 million he's due to make this year anyway. And this $2 million isn't some number that he freely negotiated based upon his actual or perceived abilities. It's a cookie-cutter, rookie-wage-scale contract that was take-it-or-leave-it. It's not like Dak Prescott had a way to negotiate anything, including incentives based upon how well he plays or how many games he plays. This guy's started 48 games and three playoff games, and he's played well. And I think there's every reason to believe that what we saw from him late last year into the postseason, especially when the Rams had taken away Ezekiel Elliott, but Dak Prescott was still playing well, there's reason to believe that he's on his way. There's reason to believe he's found a new level. But the Cowboys want credit. Teams always want credit for that year or two, sometimes three, that get thrown out the window for a new contract. It's a dangerous game for teams to play because there's going to be another Kirk Cousins at some point. Now, look, Kirk Cousins wasn't a Norma Ray-type figure. Norma Ray? Was that a movie? I think it was a movie. Sally Field, Norma Ray, Aaron Brockovich, something like that. Somebody who takes a stand against the, the man, against the employer. That wasn't Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins went franchise tag, franchise tag, free agency because Washington was not offering him contracts that would make him say, I should take this. When you've got the franchise tag at $20 million, that was 2016, $20 million, and they're offering you deals that cover multiple years that average 16, why the hell would you sign that deal? And then when they use the franchise tag on you again the next year at $24 million, if they're offering you a long-term deal worth less than that, why the hell would you do it? Just play it out and become a free agent. Now, if Dak Prescott holds firm with what he wants, and the key moment is going to be when the Cowboys put their best offer on the table. Because you can say, I want this and I want that and give me this and give me that. And the team just says, no, here's what we're going to pay you. And the player very well may go, oh, well, that's a lot of money. That, that, that's, that, I can take that. That's mine. Hmm, that's a lot of money. And for a guy that's never gotten a big payday like Dak Prescott, that last best offer, very attractive. Especially when you consider you got another year to play. And anything can happen, i.e., e.g., whichever one is appropriate there, Alex Smith. And then you get nothing. Or at least you get nothing close to what you would have gotten. It's hard to throw that bird in the hand away. Because you've got the big bird in the hand versus who knows what else in the bush. This isn't bird in the hand, two in the bush. This is fat-ass bird in your hand and maybe equally fat-ass bird in the bush. We don't know. Maybe two, we don't know. But at some point, there's going to be somebody who says, screw it, I'm going franchise tag, franchise tag, free agency. And maybe it'll be Dak Prescott. Maybe there'll be a guy who says, I don't care. I don't care. I've already made more money than I ever thought I was going to make. I don't care. And the Cowboys, I think, place value on being the Cowboys starting quarterback. And somebody asked me about that earlier. I think it was Big Cat. Should that count? Well, 
it doesn't count for the agent because the agent doesn't care. The agent doesn't get paid based upon the inherent value of being the Cowboys quarterback. The agent doesn't get paid based upon the fact that more people watch Dak Prescott play. And the agent, unless the agent's also the marketing agent, the agent doesn't get paid based on Dan and Yogurt deals and whatever other endorsements the Cowboys quarterback can get. It doesn't matter to the agent who negotiates the contract, whether it's the Cowboys quarterback, the Cardinals quarterback, the Jaguars quarterback, the Packers quarterback. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's a winning team or a losing team. One of the best stories I ever heard, there was a congregation of executives and agents somewhere, scouting combine, Super Bowl, whatever the case may be, and they were talking about the pros and cons of putting a guy with a championship caliber team and taking less versus going somewhere else and making more. And the agent's position was, I don't get 3% of the ring. I get 3% of the contract. So the agent, I think, would try very hard to get Dak Prescott to not get infatuated by this notion that you're the Cowboys quarterback. And why should the Cowboys get a discount for that? Why, why, should, why should they be able to basically finagle more cap dollars because certain players, star players on the team, in theory, should take less because they're playing for the Cowboys. Everybody wants that Patriot vibe where people take less, people take less, people take less. It's not happening in Dallas because you already got guys who are making good money. That's the challenge. How many guys can you pay? And when you pay all the guys you want to pay and you're stuck with undrafted free agents as backups and somebody gets injured, then you're screwed. That's why the Patriots are successful. One of the reasons why they're successful. Because there really isn't anyone making market value at any position, led by Tom Brady, who is clearly not making market value at quarterback, you can have backups who are experienced veterans who are getting good money to be available to play when there's an injury. And injuries will happen. And the teams that adjust and react and proceed in the best possible fashion once they have those injuries, once they plug those players in, those are the teams that tend to hang around into January. They tend to be in the playoffs every year, or as the case of the Patriots may be, in the AFC Championship game every single year from 2011 through 2018, and no reason to believe they won't be back in 2019. But that's not the easiest thing in the world to engineer. And for the Cowboys... I remember when Dak Prescott was interviewed by Chris Sims at the Super Bowl and Sims said something about a team-friendly deal or a hometown discount, whatever phrase he used, and he got the side-eye from Dak Prescott. Now, this, this game is about getting paid, and everybody's getting paid. The team is making huge money. The teams are all making great money. And the obligation for each individual player is get paid as much as you can. That's how Baker Mayfield got himself into trouble with teammates, assuming the report from Mike Silver of NFL Media is accurate. And I know, folks, and I got chastised, I think, on Twitter or in the comments or both because I wrote an item with Mike Silver criticizing Baker Mayfield without pointing out all the reasons why Silver would have a bias against Baker Mayfield. The friendship with Hugh Jackson, Baker Mayfield snubbing Hugh Jackson, and there was the comment from Mike Silver that Baker Mayfield needs to grow up and a lot of people are like, what are you talking about? But, and, and, and so, you know, that perspective will influence the reporting because I think it's human nature for us as reporters and opinion generators, which more and more of the reporters who cover the NFL are, 
when you have an opinion, when you have a take, when you have a point of view, your reporting is going to skew towards supporting your point of view. It's just human nature. You don't want to report something that creates the impression that everything you've been saying about the guy is bullshit. So I can understand why there'd be some hesitation. But to me, the best news, if this is true, is that this problem that Baker Mayfield had with teammates because he got between Duke Johnson and his money by making the comments he made last week at mandatory minicamp, basically get on the train or get off the train, that it was all resolved very quickly. That tells me Baker Mayfield is willing to listen, is willing to understand, isn't going to be so tied to his position on things that he can't admit that he made a mistake or that there's a better way to view it. So I was impressed by that, the fact that it all got patched up quickly. And I still don't understand his point because Duke Johnson is the kid at the carnival yelling, stop the ride, I want to get off. Get on the train or get off the train. Well, I want off the train. I want off the train. I still wonder whether what Mayfield said was a message to Odell Beckham Jr. Whether the things that Freddie Kitchens said about Gerald McCoy, we want people who want to be here. Baker Mayfield, either get on the train or get off the train. After Mayfield had stayed away from most of the offseason program, I just wonder if that's some frustration manifesting itself because these guys didn't have access to Beckham so they could get ready for their first season working with one of the best receivers in football. This Patriots-Texans tampering case is moving forward. And I don't know where it's going to go. There are people, and I'm trying to get some clarity on this, and I haven't been able to get clarity yet. I didn't think this was as sensitive as it is. Sometimes when I stray towards something that is sensitive, I know it, I feel it. This feels like it's 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 got a sensitivity to it that doesn't match reality. There are people who are familiar with the dynamics of the two organizations, familiar with the personalities involved, who believe that the Patriots and the Texans eventually work out some sort of a deal. And Nick Casario will become the GM in Houston, and the Texans will compensate the Patriots. But there's somebody else who is experienced and respected and knowledgeable, and i got to be careful, I can't out my own sources, but somebody who would know these rules, who is telling me the rules have changed. You can't trade for a general manager, and you can't, settle a tampering case and the league won't even resolve tampering cases anymore by for example flip-flopping draft picks between the victim of tampering and the person who committed the tampering back in 2010 there was a tampering issue between the lions and the chiefs the lions were found guilty and one of the terms of the punishment were that the chiefs and the lions flip-flop picks in a later round of the draft my understanding based upon this person that i know and that i trust and that has never steered me wrong, never even accidentally steered me wrong, is that that's not available. Now, I want to put a little more meat on that bone before I write it up, and I'm hoping to get a response from the league office. You know, sometimes you got to send the email two or three times to the people at the league office to get them to answer. It's a great first line of defense. We don't feel like answering it. Let's just ignore the guy. We'll see how badly he wants it. We'll see if he remembers. He's busy. We know he's busy. He may forget that he sent this, and he may not follow up. So let's just not do anything. So I may have to send it again and again. 
But I think it's a fair question. Because if the Patriots can reach some sort of a deal with the Texans, I think a deal gets done fairly quickly. If Nick Casario doesn't want to be there anymore, that's how it gets resolved. If you can't do a deal, if you can't get compensation, if all you can do is get the Texans in trouble and they forfeit draft picks, how does that really help you? It helps you and everybody else who's competing with the Texans. It doesn't help you specifically. And it could be that the goal is to just scare the Texans away. But I really do believe that what happened here is that if, if there was tampering, the Texans learned from what happened with the Colts and Josh McDaniels. You cannot leave any opening, any window, any crack in that willingness of the employee to return to New England. You can't give them a chance to swoop in and change his mind. And I think that the belief is that the Texans found a way to turn Casario in their favor and away from the Patriots before the Patriots even knew what was going on. Which is impressive if they pulled it off. Very impressive. So we're trying to nail that down, trying to figure out what's going on there and what the timeline is. Because I guess there's a chance that the end result is, you know what? The Texans just have to move on. They have to go elsewhere. So, let's see how that plays out. But time is of the essence for the Houston Texans. The clock is ticking. What else is happening in the National Football League? I see the XFL doing these showcases city to city. Familiar names like Hakeem Nix trying to get back in. Joe Houlihan, Callahan, Houlihan. I was on 106.7 The Fan in D.C. earlier today with Chad Dukes. I do that every couple weeks. They they play the best of PFT Live on the weekend, so I figure that's the least I can do, give him 15 minutes. I like talking to him. I've known him for a long time. I was on a radio show with him back when he was in college years ago. And we were talking about spring football, and there's a lengthy article from Seth Wickersham in ESPN.com about the AAF and you know, the thing about it is, it's a great article. I've been meaning to write something about it. There's really no big, wow, boom, damn moment in there. It's a lot of stuff we either know or with the application of basic common sense, we could figure out. It's a good article, but th there's not news in there per se that really grabbed me by the by the shirt collar and, and made me say, I got I to gotta write this. But whether it's the AAF or the XFL... I still don't think spring football is going to work because I don't think people want it. I remember 1983. I've told you this story before. USFL debuting. I was a senior in high school. I was so excited because I love football. I love football. Give me more football. Football, football, football. Football in the spring. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, I like that. I like more football. First week, the game's on. I'm sitting there sitting. Why, why in the hell am I watching this? I'm not interested in football. I'm just not. It's like Christmas in May. I mean, I kind of like the fact that I get stuff, but it's not Christmas time. It's not football season. If I had $500 million to burn, football season would be when the alternative professional league lands. Tuesday, Wednesday. Or somebody suggested a few weeks ago the possibility of spring football that would begin after the draft which I like even better. Give us a chance to get hungry for football again. 
And I've noticed when I watch PFT Live now, when I'm sitting there doing the show, and we've got highlights running. I've got like a dual... I've got a dual setup. Is it? Is it both? Do I always see the right? Boy, you know, when I'm not sitting in front of it, I can't remember. I think I've got two screens. I've got one that's... Is that how it works? I think I've got one monitor that shows the feed and another monitor that shows Sims and me split screen. I think that's how it works. And, um, or it may just be one. Isn't that funny? I sit there every day for two plus hours and I can't freaking remember. I think it's just one monitor. Regardless, as I look at the monitor and I see the highlights, I, I, I feel myself now post-draft saying I miss football. It is just one. What the hell am I talking about? It is just one monitor. And I, said, I, I, I get myself like, oh, I want football. It's, fo- it's time for football. So if there was a football league that started after the draft, maybe that works. I don't know. I just don't think there's an appetite for football beyond football season. And I don't think the XFL is going to make it for that reason. Now, if Vince McMahon wants to keep pouring money down a, down a dry hole, then I guess that it will, quote unquote, make it. It will survive. But unless you can get people interested, it has to become appointment viewing. It can't be background noise. It can't be, hey, you know what? There's nothing else on TV. I'll put on the football game. Football has to be the destination, not the fallback. So what makes the XFL a destination? You either have to have very significant innovations that people feel compelled to tune in to watch, and that's not easy to do, or you've got to have star players, and that's not cheap to do. See, they're talking about doing speakers in all helmets so they can get rid of the huddle completely. Is that going to get you to tune in and watch? Is that really going to be the difference maker? I don't think so. So, look, I, I, I hope it does well. I like the entrepreneurial spirit. I like the fact that people are trying to give us more football. I just think the reality is, deep down, nobody really wants more football. Period. All right, let's answer some of your questions. I got a meeting coming up here in a little bit. I try to schedule the podcast today knowing that I have a meeting coming up so I don't babble on and on and on. Because do you really want to listen to me babble on and on for an hour plus? Do you really? I know I don't want to listen to it. So if I don't want to listen to it, I don't think you want to listen to it. Listen to this. PFTPM Posse. When... Man, this is... We're really hitting the low the low watermark here of, of uh, topics to discuss. When do you think... Using shorthand text style spelling grammar like LOL, BRB, TBH, and single letters like UB and R will become the norm and or acceptable for the professional world. Hell, maybe even taught in schools since many aren't teaching cursive anymore. I, I don't know. Would that be the principification of the English language? I remember he used to do that stuff. He would do the shorthand. He would use the letter U instead of Y-O-U and the number two instead of T-O. And it was weird then, but that's become the way that we shorthand communicate via text and email. I think it's probably already part and parcel of the professional world. I don't know when they teach it in school. Do they still teach kids how to write? Do they still teach cursive and printing and all that? I guess they have to. You have to teach people how to write. There's always going to be a chance that you don't have a keyboard nearby. But it really has become irrelevant for the most part in today's society. And... Do they teach typing in school? Do they teach keyboarding? I guess they call it keyboarding now. 
or have kids already figured out how to do it by the time they end up in school? I, I don't, you know, all I know is every kid I see has got a phone in his or her face. I don't know that they're doing a lot of keyboarding. But the world is very, very different. And it's all evolved. And it's all going to continue to change. And all we old folks can do is try to keep up with it. PFTPM Posse, you're screwed up so bad they won't let you do it again. Works so well. I've been using it successfully since I was a kid to not do laundry. And my wife accuses me of it almost weekly. I deny it, but she's right. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this part. Yeah, look, I learned the hard, not the hard way. Well, the hard way was I had to actually cut the grass once or twice. But, you know, when I was old enough to be trusted to push the lawnmower without slicing a toe or two off, my mom said, go cut the grass. And I didn't want to cut the grass. I had allergies. And back in those days, it's not like you could just go to the drugstore and get a box of Claritin. And I didn't like stirring up all that grass and sneezing my, my head off. And I just didn't like it. I didn't like it. I was lazy. I didn't want to cut the grass. I got no enjoyment out of pushing the lawnmower over the sections of grass and doing it again and again until you get this, you know, the design. And the, yeah, I didn't care. I didn't care. I wanted to just go do kid things. I didn't want to cut the damn grass. So I screwed it up and I never had to do it again. And I didn't realize at the time the power of that. I just screwed it up. And then I realized, hey, they're not making me do it again. This, 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 can be, this can be a very useful strategy for getting out of shit you don't want to do. So, I don't recommend it. I don't condone it. But uh, just understand and appreciate the power of doing something so poorly that you, you don't have to do it ever again. PFTPM Posse, if the NFL holds coaches, owners, executives, management to higher levels of accountability or whatever they put out for PR reasons, why don't they at a minimum get drug tested too? Why hasn't the NFLPA ever mentioned it as a way to possibly sway perception? I, I Look, I, that's not a bad point. It's not a bad point at all. And I've had that argument raised with me that if they had marijuana testing for owners, you'd have a lot of owners ensnared. But the owners aren't the ones out there on the field. And the whole PR push in the 80s, and the NFLPA agreed to it at the time. This is when Gene Upshaw was the longtime NFLPA executive director. He agreed to this drug testing thing because that was the, the mood. That was the era. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. The war on drugs. Drugs, drugs, drugs. Marijuana is the gateway to all sorts of hallucinogenic, psychedelic, addictive drugs. They, they, I hope they just figure out a way to make it go away. It just needs to go away. Another one from the PFTPM Posse. Why doesn't or wouldn't Nick Casario just get himself fired so he's free to go to the Texans? Are, 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 you, are you suggesting the George Costanza approach? I mean, they got six trophies. Tie those babies to the back of a bumper and drive around the parking lot. Get a megaphone. Hurl insults at Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft. But he ain't getting himself fired. It's not that simple. This isn't George Costanza trying to go work for the Mets, trying to wiggle out from his deal with the Yankees. He was the assistant to the traveling secretary with the Yankees. Was he going to be the assistant general manager of the Mets? Not bad for a guy with absolutely no skills, or experience, or social skill, or anything. 
Not bad. Very impressed by the professional accomplishments of that fictional character. Dr. J144, do you expect more teams to report tampering in the wake of New England doing it? Guessing it happens a lot, but only Kansas City got busted for it, at least that I can remember. Kansas City got busted on technicalities. It relates to talking directly to Jeremy Macklin at a time when Kansas City was only supposed to talk to Macklin's agent during that window for legal tampering. And I think a lot of tampering happens. I think a lot of it happens very discreetly. And the NFL doesn't want to go around busting people for tampering. So that's why it doesn't become an issue very often. Now, this kind of tampering, tampering with a general manager candidate. See, for a lot of these teams, if you're going to argue tampering, you better have clean hands. And most teams don't. But for something like this, if the Patriots theory is right, and I think what the theory is, I don't know this, but I would guess that the theory is you worked on Nick Casario to the point where he wants to come to the Texans and we didn't get a fair chance to keep him. You had communications with him before we even knew you wanted to talk to him. I don't know that that encourages more teams to commit allegations of tampering because there are so many teams out there that tamper. It's kind of like an all's fair thing. And there's a hypocrisy at a certain level if you are accusing someone of tampering and you have done the same damn thing. And for a lot of the tampering, most teams do it. I had a team president tell me years ago that that person's team was the last one that was holding out and not engaging in tampering with free agents. And eventually it became a strategic issue. The team was compromised because everybody else was doing it. Well, we got to do it too. The real Forno, are you surprised that the Texans are being accused of tampering with the Patriots? It seems especially odd considering Bill O'Brien worked for them. No, I look, I'm not surprised. If there was tampering and the Patriots apparently believe there, there was. Again, I think the Patriots suspect and possibly can prove that there was something that was done to get Nick Casario to decide that he wanted to go, that he wanted to leave, and that he knew he was getting the job before he even interviewed for it. At the C.J. Newman, could a favored nations clause work as opposed to your suggestion of the percentage of the cap? You know what? I'm not ashamed to admit I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I don't know what you mean by favored nations clause. Maybe I should know. I don't. Dean Osborne, 42. Of all the PFT live drafts you and Sims have done, which one is your favorite? That's a good question. I don't remember a lot of them. The next one. I'll go Tom Brady. My favorite one is the next one. I enjoy doing them. But, like, we'll have different ideas as we bounce around possibilities for the draft. And I've probably suggested things we've done before. And others have suggested. It's like, yeah, we've done that. Collectively, fortunately, there hasn't been one where one of us has suggested it and the other three who were involved in the planning didn't say, we've done that before. Usually, someone will say, yeah, we've already done that. But we try to come up with creative ideas that are based on either things happening with other sports or some unique thing that's happening with the NFL. Mike likes dirt. Agree or disagree? The most literally and politically correct title for NFL owners is king. Comes complete with nepotism and thinking you're a deity. You know, I kind of like that. Because you do pass the team down from generation to generation. Royal Highness. I kind of like that. I think it would offend the owners. But king or queen, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. 
John Randall 15, was there no PFT OT today? There was, apparently didn't get posted the PFT PM feed. Sorry about that. You can find PFT OT. I think I attached it to one of the stories we did. I usually paste the code into one of the stories. Richardson Hines, is Chris Ballard saving cap money for Jim Ursay to keep or saving it to extend his own players this year and next year? Oh, well, it's a combination, potentially. I don't – look, I, one of my big issues with the CBA is the salary floor, the spending minimum. It's not as high as it needs to be, and I think the NFLPA should try to push – the requirement not to 95, 96, 97, 98%, but all the way to 100%. That all the money that is available to be spent on players should be spent on players. And if it's not, then that money goes into a fund that somehow gets carved up equally among all players. But it shouldn't be... See, when you say the players are getting X percent of the revenue, it's not X percent. It's up to X percent. It needs to be a firm commitment. This is what the players are getting. And there needs to be a mechanism to ensure that that money is paid over to the players some way, somehow. There are too many teams out there with too much cap space. Now, maybe at some point the Colts find a free agent, a great player that they think is really going to be a difference maker, and they can swoop in and sign that player. And maybe they are just holding it back to extend some of their younger players when it's time for them to get paid. But to have a franchise quarterback now... Andrew Lux at $24.5 million, which is now downright affordable. But to have a franchise quarterback and to have that much cap space, something's wrong with that picture. The team's still good. Could they be even better? And how much of this is about Jim Irsay hoarding money so he can buy more John Lennon pianos and John Voigt cars? Next question, that devil is mine. Who would win in a fight between John Rambo, John McClane, and Martin Riggs? Now, John Rambo, I know, that's Sylvester Stallone in the First Blood movies. John McClane is Yippie from the Die Hard movies, and Martin Riggs is the lethal weapon. Crazy dude. I don't know what I, I don't know. I don't know. Are they allowed to have guns? If it's guns, I'd go Rambo. If it's just bare knuckles street fighting, I think Martin Riggs. Because I think when it's time to fight without weapons, the crazier you are, the wilder you are, the more over-the-top you are, the better off you're going to be. So I would go with Riggs. Very important question. This is how we fill up the slow time. J. Randall, 15, behind-the-scenes question. Why do you keep needing to go to Boston for work when the headquarters is in Connecticut? I got business in Boston from time to time. I appreciate you noticing. That's all I'm comfortable talking about. Not that I'm not leaving. I'm not jumping ship. I'm not... I'm not moving to Boston. I just, from time to time, there's things I got to do up there. So it doesn't matter. I can do it from anywhere. Anywhere there's a TV connection. Next Friday, I'm going to be in Washington. I got business there. So even though I live in West Virginia and I prefer not to travel, and I do travel every week during football season, I'm in Connecticut on Mondays, I, uh, from time to time, have reason to be in places other than West Virginia and you know, the show goes off the air at nine. I got the rest of the day to take care of other things that I have potential interest in. Dean Osborne, 42. What current musical bands or artists do you like or listen to? I'm past my Kiss phase. I saw Kiss March 30 in Pittsburgh. I haven't been listening to them much anymore. I have been listening to the Rolling Stones and specifically the Some Girls album and there's a version of it that's got like 15 extra songs because on the normal version of the album Shattered is the last cut Shattered underrated great song 
but there are like 10 or 15 songs after that. So I'll play that. I got a music system outside. We got speakers in the ground. We got this little, it looks like a giant mushroom that's a, a subwoofer and it just creates a nice blanket of sound outside. I'll sit out there and I'll, I'll, I'll play that. What else was I listening to? I went through a little Simon and Garfunkel phase not that long ago. I'll tell you what, for folk music, they, 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 they have some good songs and they got a little kick to them. They just don't, you know, they don't sound like, you know, other rock music. They, they, some of those songs, they could remake those songs with like real guitar riffs and drums and stuff, and they would be good songs. Anyway, uh, what what else was I, have I been listening to? Oh, we're going to see Peter Frampton. I, I agreed in a weak moment to go see Peter Frampton. He's on his final tour. And I was never really into Peter Frampton. I remember when Frampton Comes Alive came out in the 70s. You know, anything that wasn't Kiss, I turned my nose up at. So, uh, I think I eventually bought Frampton Comes Alive because everybody had it and it was the cool thing to do. It was like, was it a double or a triple album? I don't know. It just seemed like it went on forever. So we're going to see him. So I've been listening to him just to kind of rewire my brain. A lot of times, a lot of times I just like it to be quiet. If I'm outside, I'm reading. It's hard to enjoy reading. I like to sit outside and read at night. And... It's hard to enjoy it while music's on. I need to be able to focus. And if the music's on, it's hard to focus on the the words on the on the little uh, phone screen. Mike likes dirt. What's one headline of a story you would love to write on PFT based on the Raiders hard knocks? P.S. I've never watched the series before, not even clips. And you bet your ass I'm watching this season. A headline of a story I'd love to write based on the Raiders hard knocks. I mean, I I I mean, I just hope it's a complete and total shit show. That's what I want. I want there to be arguments, fights, dysfunction. The most compelling scene on the series in years was the argument between Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley last year in the Browns coaches room. I want real. I don't want prepackaged, this is what we want you to see. I want what's really going on. And that's the thing about reality show. It's never reality because people are never real. When the cameras are on, they're not real. I remember when Joe Philbin was the coach of the Dolphins and the Dolphins did hard knocks. And he said, oh, it's simple. You just be yourself. You're never yourself when the camera's on, when you know the camera's there. Unless the camera's there so long, you get desensitized to it. But even then, the camera's there. You're still careful because the camera's there. There have been times that we've had cameras in the viewing room at NBC. And I remember at one point, Real Sports did something on Peter King. There was a camera there. There was another time, for whatever reason, the camera was there. You, you're aware of that damn thing. You watch what you say. N- not, not that we're saying, you know, hurling a bunch of profanity other than Sims. But, you know, you, you want to say something stupid. If you're going to say something, you want it to be insightful. Sound like a bozo like I usually do. At the C.J. Newman, rank the quarterbacks from last year's draft class. Top five. Mayfield, Allen, Jackson, Darnold, Rosen. That's the top five from the C.J. Newman. I would go Mayfield, Allen, Darnold, Jackson, Rosen. I need to see Lamar Jackson throw the ball better and more frequently and run less because I'm concerned about his durability. Rosen, I'd give him an incomplete because you put any of those guys with the Cardinals last year and we're going to think that 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 guy was the worst of the five. Dustin Lowmiller, if you had to start a team today in the league, gave you these three quarterbacks to choose from, who do you take? Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, or Dak Prescott? If I was starting a team now, and I had to choose between Wentz, Goff, and Prescott, 
I'd take Prescott. I, look, durability is so underrated. The guy started every game. He doesn't get injured. And when he gets banged up, he finds a way to keep playing. Carson Wentz, two straight Decembers, gone because he's too reckless with his body. Jared Goff, I still am never going to get past that throw that he missed to Brandon Cooks. They used the same play. First half, he missed Cooks wide open. And I guarantee you in that half hour in the locker room during the Super Bowl halftime, they went over that play and said, we're going to run this again and we're going to pop it wide open. Brandon Cooks doesn't throw his hand up in the air like Randy Moss did every time Randy Moss broke off the line of scrimmage if he didn't know that that was the plan. The plan was Cooks is going to be wide open and Goff missed him. Goff waited too long. And he's got that he's got that that hitch at the top of his release where his arm kind of kind of it goes too far back which forces him to snap it more and it puts a wobble on the ball and it just it takes too long to get rid of the football. So I'd go with Dak Prescott. Tyler Finesse, which team has the best classic uniforms in my opinion? The classy I well the best classic old school uniforms. I like the old Oilers uniforms. Not with the blue helmets, with the white. I really like those. I, I, I was on with Paul Allen this week. And I think one thing the Vikings should do is just go back to the uniforms they wore in the 70s. Off, uh, home and away. Simple. Get rid of the three-dimensional horn. We know it's a horn. We don't need to have the shadowing and the shading on the horn. I like the purple and gold LSU style stripes up over the top of the shoulder. I, I don't like funky numbers, folks. I don't like it. I remember when the Eagles did it in the 90s. Keith Overman said it was the rollerball uniform. I don't like the funky numbers. I like the old school block numbers. The, the funky Nike-fied Viking jersey numbers. I, I'm okay overall with the Viking uniform now. I don't like the I don't like mad helmets either. Mad helmet what the what the what's the deal with the mad helmets? Like the trend comes along and you embrace it and then and then when do you move on? I don't like the mad helmet. All right. Dirtbag thirteen twenty seven. Power issue. And there's a gif here. Durs, you quit game. Why would you I don't get it. I don't get the gif. You lost all your money. Gambling. I don't get it. I, don't get, I did have a power issue. I had a power issue yesterday. We had storms. Power was out. J. Randall, 15. Should the Rams try to lock up Goff now and hope to trade a cheap asset later on down the road? You mean trade him down the road? I just think that anybody who has a quarterback they believe in should pay the guy now because it's only going to get more expensive if you wait. Dak Prescott, Jared Goff, any other quarterback that you decide you want to keep, the moment the window opens to sign that guy, you sign him. Chiefs, as soon as this regular season ends, that's when the window opens. The end of the third regular season, not the end of the third season. And one of these years, there's going to be a guy who says going into the playoffs, I ain't playing until I get my contract. I've, I'm eligible for my contract. I've earned it. I deserve it. I want it now. And I'm not playing in the playoff game if you don't give me my contract. I can't imagine anyone having the balls to do that, but I hope it happens. I, I love somebody that disrupts the way things are. It forces the status quo to change for the better when that happens. But I'm looking at the list of teams now. Teams that, that have guys who are eligible for contracts and, and should not wait. Now, the Bills, after next season, 
get Josh Allen signed after 2020. Get Josh Allen signed. Miami Dolphins, they can take some time. Patriots and Tom Brady, unique situation. Sam Darnold, after 2020, get him signed. Lamar Jackson, after 2020, apparently now get him signed. Baker Mayfield, after 2020, get him signed. Deshaun Watson, after this season, get him signed. Titans don't know what they're doing with Marcus Mariota. I think that's a smart approach. Patrick Mahomes, after this season, get him signed. There aren't a lot of other guys that I see who are coming up or are currently eligible. Dak Prescott, eligible. They need to get him signed. Carson Wentz, eligible. They got him signed. Trubisky, after this season, probably smart to get him signed. All these other teams have guys who have been signed, except for Jameis Winston. I mentioned Marcus Mariota. Both teams are deciding to wait and see what happens this year. Probably a good idea. The Rams, Goff, I'd get him signed. I mean, really, the only two guys out there who are eligible for new contracts and their their teams, by all appearances, want them are Prescott and Goff. And I would get them signed if you truly want them because it's only going to get more expensive. Pip Graville, if Canadian teams play in the NBA, why isn't it the IBA? Come on, man. Didn't we have this question the other day? If an NFL team moves to Canada, wouldn't it be the Canadian or the International Football League? And there's already Canadian hockey teams. Isn't it the International Hockey League? Enough, enough. C.J. Newman, how long was the power out yesterday? I, you know, I... I can't remember, but what happened was, because, because again, I got a generator, so I was able to go to another part of the house and do some work. I just couldn't access my, my ISDN line, but uh, we, we decided to wait a half hour to see if it would reset, and it didn't reset, so we just called it, but by, by the evening, it was fine again. Dean Osborne, 42, you never mentioned the movie Casino, which I think is every bit as great as Goodfellas. Do you agree? I didn't really like Casino. I don't know why. I just didn't like it. At Nick Estrom, I haven't been able to listen to today's PFT Live yet. Busy with the family, so I'm sorry if you've already covered this, but how does the passing of Pat Boland affect the Broncos? Does anything speed up or slow down for the organization going forward? It should have no effect whatsoever because when Pat Boland stepped away from running the team, it was placed into a trust, and it stays in that trust until the three members of that trust decide which of the seven Boland children is the best suited to take over day-to-day management of the franchise. That's where that stands. So, Brittany Boland seems to be the favorite to emerge, but those three trustees decide. And the passing of Pat Boland does not affect that analysis. The team will continue to be managed by that trust. Paul PJ5, if there's no new CBA by 2020, would the 2020 season become an uncapped year? If so, why is this the case? They put the uncapped year in as the last year of the CBA to create the incentive to get a deal done because the thinking is in an uncapped year there will be chaos now in 2011 2010 rather which was an uncapped year the lockout happened in 2011 it really wasn't chaos in part because there was collusion remember the cowboys in washington they got in trouble in 2012 because god forbid they treated the uncapped year like it was uncapped contracts that had been approved by the league they got whacked for the way they structured them the contracts were approved by the league. And the NFLPA, and this was a weird kind of a time, the NFLPA agreed 
to proceed with those punishments because what the NFLPA got in return was an agreement that the salary cap was going to go up in 2012 versus what it was in 2011. If it had gone down, there may have been some major changes at the NFLPA. I remember that vividly. Because the NFLPA then tried to turn around and file a collusion case based on the Washington and Dallas cap penalties, even though they had already agreed that that those cap penalties were going to be imposed. So the bottom line is there was a period of about 18 years where that uncapped year, the threat of the uncapped year served as the, the incentive to get the deal done before that uncapped year kicked in. Now it really doesn't, it doesn't serve as much of an incentive. John Randall, Josh Randall, Josh Randall, 15, not John Randall. When looking back at Dak's future check, does it factor in at all that he wasn't a first rounder and so he was paid a lot less the last few years? I mean, that affects this new money analysis and the total value at signing. If he was making $25 million this year, or what would it be? I think it's $22.8 million next year for Jared Goff in 2020 under that fifth-year option. If you've got a huge payment in that year that gets ripped up and replaced... The difference between the new money and the total value it's signing isn't as stark. So I think it does hurt him because teams want credit for the remaining contract. Whatever the value is, they want credit for that. Butts Wagner, what if Wednesday? What if Steven Goskowski made the extra point in the first half of the 2015 AFC Championship game? New England was chasing points the whole game. If New England won, how does that impact Peyton Manning's legacy, John Elway's job, etc.? Hey, I mean, that's a good point. You know, the Patriots could be working on 14, 15, 16, 17. Five straight Super Bowl appearances. Is that right? They've been to three straight. They've won two out of the last three. They've been to four out of the last five. They could have been to five in a row. We we have been focusing on, and I appreciate that you're paying attention to what we do on PFT Live. We've been doing What If Wednesdays. But it's mainly stuff that happened in the 2018 season. But you're right. I mean, the Patriots could have slash should have won that game. And Sims believes that late in the 2015 season, when the Patriots took their foot off the gas and lost a couple of regular season games and lost the number one seed to the Broncos, they were unconcerned. They were confident they'd go to Denver and win. J. Randall, 15, doing anything for Father's Day. I don't think we're doing anything special. We're probably going to have... I think we're going to do something tomorrow night. I think we're doing either dinner here, whether we grill, whether we get pasta, we may go out. Because Sunday... I've got a nephew that's in a traveling baseball league, although most of the games are local, and they have a tournament every weekend, and Sunday gets a little bit crazy because there's a bunch of games that get jammed in, and there isn't much of a window for dinner, and last week we had Sunday night dinner at like 9.30. And also, what, what we, we have a get-together here in West Virginia every year with some of the NBC executives, just kind of a you know get everyone together away from all the, the normal workload and hang out and relax and just spend some time together. And this year's the 10-year anniversary of the NBC-PFT relationship. July 1 will be the 10-year anniversary of when we went online. And uh, it's a big day. It's a big deal. So uh, Monday, we're going to have five or six NBC executives here. So uh, we're trying to, we're going to be trying to keep the house clean this weekend. And uh, we've been, we've been, I'm going to say we've been working hard. My wife's been working hard to get everything right and and uh she's doing 
this gets back to what we talked about earlier. If you're not good at something, you don't get asked to do it. I'm not real good at cleaning. Uh, but uh, but I am I am doing my part. I will do my part. I will do my share. Uh, although she's doing most of the preparing and cleaning and getting everything together. And uh, we're looking forward to that on Monday. But that's another reason not to have the house all messed up on Sunday night with a big meal and cooking and just the mess that goes along with it. Thomas J. Gunther with the Bears seemingly set at every position, but kicker, how worried should the fans be that this will bite them in a big spot? And if that is truly all that is missing, why not just give up some draft capital, secure a decent kicker, and make a run? Super Bowl means more than a draft pick. Well, I think that they believe they're going to be able to find a kicker. And if all else fails, they can wait until a kicker is cut by another team and then go in and get that guy. But here's where it gets very interesting. With the Bears playing in that Thursday night opener, hosting it against the Packers, NFL's 100 season, yada, yada. The cuts will happen on Saturday, and it used to be there would be a preliminary cut from 90 to 75, and then a cut from 75 to 53. Now it goes straight from 90 to 53, and it happens the Saturday of Labor Day weekend. And if that's when kickers are available, when do you bring them in for a tryout? When do you sign them to the team? This kicker doesn't have a whole lot of time to get ready for that Thursday night game. And whoever the kicker for the Bears is, that opening game, it's going to be such a talking point. Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth are going to be talking about the kicking issues, the kicking woes for the Chicago Bears. You better be able to nail those kicks. I saw that they had both of the kickers currently under contract with the Bears try 40-yard field goals with everyone watching the last day of minicamp. Are you kidding me? 40-yard field goals, a chip shot. It was a big deal back in the 70s when they all kicked straight on and they weren't nearly as good as today's kickers. A 40-yarder, seven yards farther than an extra point? Who cares? That's what they've been reduced to. Thomas McCoskey asks, with the NFL's DirecTV deal ending, wouldn't it be smarter for them next season to upgrade Game Pass to include live regular season games? They could charge more for the service and wouldn't have to share the income with a streaming service. There has been a theory floating around that one of the NFL's options at some point would be to create its own OTT service, over-the-top service, where it sells games directly to consumers. Now, here's the problem with that. Number one, you got to have the infrastructure in place to deliver that content. You don't want to have a debacle like DAZN had in Canada a couple of years ago, where it bought all the rights to the Canadian broadcast of the NFL, the streaming system didn't work, and fans were pissed off. The other side of it, too, do you make more money selling the rights to networks that will overpay for the rights and then turn around and try to make money off of the rights while selling ads and promoting their own other lineup items? See, that's why networks are willing to overpay for the NFL. They're going to make a certain amount of money on advertising and other sponsorships, but they're also going to have that opportunity within the confines of the NFL broadcast to promote other shows. There's a value to that. For the NFL, that value isn't part of it. They, 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 they are, if they retain the rights, right? They, they, yeah, they sell the advertising, but you know, you're going to promote your NFL network shows. Who cares? Tune in to watch top 10, whatever. Top 10 playoff comebacks from 1970 to 1998. I mean, what? it's not the same value. Now, one theory that is out there is the idea that the NFL will sell windows to 
large companies like the tech companies, okay, let's say you sell the the 1 p.m. Sunday window, the entire window, all the games played at 1 p.m. Eastern on a Sunday to Google. And Google buys those rights, and then Google resells those rights to satellite, cable, streaming. Maybe they retain the streaming rights. That basically you set up a middleman through these gigantic companies that will pay a major premium to then control those rights. That's a possibility. And that's what DAZN ended up doing the year after they had their streaming debacle. They started selling off the rights to different cable providers and satellite providers. And uh, they serve as the middleman. And the idea is you pay a giant amount and you, you then control those rights and you find ways to make money off of those rights. And the NFL just sits back and focuses on football, stays in the football business, but maximizes the revenue that it generates. There's something to be said for that. How much does the NFL want to be a TV business, want to be a media company? It's not. It's a football company. That's one of the benefits of our relationship with NBC. We focus on doing what we do best. We don't have to focus on selling ads and doing anything but doing what we do. All right, let's see what else we got here. The Real Forno, what's your favorite item on the grill that isn't meat? We've had pizza on the grill before, which was excellent. We've had uh, a friend of mine who, who runs a local Mexican restaurant that we always go to. He was over here a couple of years ago, and we made some stuff. And he, he made some peppers that had some cheese inside of them, and, and those were on the grill, and those were excellent. Yeah, I, I, like, the, I like to get a cast iron skillet and cook onions and, and peppers with olive oil on the grill to go along with steak sandwiches. We've done that. But usually it's meat. It's usually some sort of meat. Tyler Furness, how will Vince McMahon, being the sole major decision maker where everything runs through him with WWE, impact how the XFL operates? I, I, I don't know. I think he's going to defer a lot of his decision making to Oliver Luck, the commissioner of the XFL. But, you know, Vince McMahon is still going to want things to be done a certain way. Panthers Austria with P.I. now reviewable. Wouldn't it make sense to throw a Hail Mary every now and then, like in the middle of the quarter when it's third and 10 at midfield or so? Look, I'm, I'm a believer that it makes sense to do it anyway, especially with the way the Packers do it. But um, remember, automatic replay review is still going to be available now, but automatic replay review is available only if there's a turnover, an interception, final two minutes of the half, final two minutes of the game, or overtime. You can still initiate it with a red flag challenge. You only have your two per game, and you get a third red flag challenge if you get the first two right. But let's say it's first and 10 from your own 30, midway through the second quarter. And you decide to uncork a Hail Mary that is caught around the 20, if at all. And it's a cluster of bodies, and maybe you're going to get lucky, and you're going to do some pushing and shoving. You throw the red flag, and you, you pick up. 50 yards of field position. I, I, I don't know that that... I don't know that someone's going to try to game the system that way. I'm not concerned about that. Mike Likes Dirt, have you listened to the Mafia podcast? You'd love it. Includes lots of interview footage from the likes of the real Donnie Brasco and Selwyn Rabb. Selwyn Rabb is the person who wrote the Five Families book. I'm still working my way through. I'll have to check it out. Reverend Markworth, is it the slow time yet? Mom always said I was a smart aleck. Yeah, I, I got in trouble for mentioning that it was the slow time, like 10 different occasions on PFT Live, and they made a montage. Assholes. 
Jay Randall 15, since you were talking about Rick Riley the other day and he's been promoting a book while on retirement, have you considered having him on? It was funny because he was on Pardon My Take the same day that for whatever reason we were talking about Rick Riley. I don't know. I You know, I, I used to be a Rick Riley guy and then all of a sudden I wasn't. I don't know what he did to make me not a Rick Riley guy, but I'm not really a Rick Riley guy. All right. Uh, the, and that's it. That's all the questions. And we've been going for just about an hour. Let me reiterate something that I posted last night at PFT because I had a little melanoma scare this week. And I'll go ahead and tell the story in the event you haven't seen it on the website. I, I got, I've got something, and I got my finger on it right now. It's up by my the top of my cheek toward my temple. And I, 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 I kind of noticed like a little, like a, like a little sunspot because I got a little sunspot above it. And I thought it was another one. And then I noticed last week that it, you know, it, it, it was kind of, it's different. It's not like this flat discoloration. It's kind of raised and, you know, you've got the little camera now and you take the big picture of it and it's like, oh God, that's disgusting. So I, I, I went through the whole, oh, it's nothing. I'm not going to do anything about it. It's like, well, you know, I should probably do something about how hard is it to drive over to the dermatologist. Oh, I don't want to bother the dermatologist. He's a nice guy. He accommodates me. Yeah, I don't want to bother him. I'm fine. I'll, I'll, I'll monitor it. And you know, you go through all that and then you realize rather than driving yourself crazy, wondering what it is or isn't, just go get the damn thing looked at. So I texted the dermatologist. This was the day I was in Boston last Thursday. And, uh, I, I took a picture and sent the picture and, uh, he said, ah, you know, it doesn't look like anything, but you know, come on and, and we'll check it out if you want to. And I said, yeah, I want to check it out. And you know, maybe we get it removed and, so I went on Monday and he looked at it right away. He said, yeah, this is nothing. This is what it is. And I can freeze it off right now if you want. Uh, and he told me, you know, how it would get kind of, you know, crusty and nasty. And I said, well, I got to put makeup over. And he said, it's better to wait until you're off. So I'm going to do it when we start our hiatus in a couple of weeks. And I was like, that's good. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, nice seeing you. How's the family? You know, all that stuff. And then he said, hey, you, you, you know, while you're here, uh, let me go ahead and check your back. You know, I always, t- I always tell people a little paranoia saves lives. I'm like, oh, all right, go ahead, check my back. My back's fine. Check my back. I pull my, my shirt up, and he's checking my back. Yeah, and he's, you know, we're making some, and then all of a sudden he gets quiet. He's like, I don't know about this one down here. It's like, oh shit. Like you always, you always dread those moments, because you never know. That's the thing about cancer. It's so freaking arbitrary. You never know who it's going to strike, what it's going to strike, where it's going to strike, and you just hope that you can, you can get it early enough that you can do something about it. And some of the types of cancer, you can get it early enough and do something about it. Colon, prostate, skin cancer. And I know more about skin cancer now than I ever did because I spent Monday through Thursday (laughs) Googling a lot of melanoma stages, diagnosis, and treatment options. And, you know, there was this little three millimeter mole at the bottom of my back, just on the other side, on the right side, just on the bottom, like you could, you, like you really have to, to crane to even begin to see it. And I saw it, and it's, I wouldn't have thought anything of it. But apparently, he saw that like the, the coloration was obscuring the skin lines. That usually in a mole, you can still see the skin lines, the lines in the epidermis, those natural, you know, little rivers and canyons and valleys that all kind of that run through your skin. Um, but he, and he couldn't see that. So he was concerned that it, that it possibly could be the early stage of a, of a, of a small melanoma. And it's, Oh God, this is great. You know, but like, and, and so he's like, yeah, but you know, you can wait and we can monitor. It's like, no, just let's, let's get it now. 
and let's see what it is. And, uh, you know, you get the little shot of the local anesthetic, and I felt the pinch, right? You know, suck it up and you deal with it. But but it, it works fast because he shaved that thing off, and I didn't feel anything. I feel it now. It's still sore, but I didn't feel it then. And uh, so I said, hey, be straight with me because I, I don't I don't want anything to be sugarcoated. I want to know exactly what I'm dealing with. And he said, well, I'm 80% confident that it's fine. I'm thinking, oh, shit, I'd like better odds than 80%. At least give me 95, although 95 often is the kiss of death, literally. So um, he said, and he could tell I was getting a little freaked out and, and I was going to be worried about it. He said, I'll get this expedited. I'll get you an answer by Thursday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I, you know, I, fortunately I did the bulk of the obsessive compulsive melanoma research on Monday by Tuesday. I, I did find some degree of peace and I don't know why, and I don't know how. And that's one of those moments where I believe that there's a higher power out there that protects us from ourselves from time to time. Cause it just kind of settled into my normal routine and I wasn't going to freak out about it. I wasn't going to, going to go crazy about it. But then when Thursday came around, it's like, oh, Thursday, today's the day. And as soon as we finish the show, it's nine o'clock. I'm checking my phone every three minutes. Is he texted? Is he texted? And finally I decided around four 30, I need to text him. And I waited about 15 minutes. I didn't want to bother him. But it's like, Hey, you said you were going to have an answer today. Cause I'm thinking, Oh God, it's bad news. And he doesn't know how to tell me. And he's, he's procrastinating the way I would. If I had told somebody, yeah, I think you're fine. And then I find out you're not fine. It's like, oh shit, I really don't want to, I don't want to make this call. I don't want to send this text, but it turns out it was fine. But it really is amazing how preventable, treatable, it's not preventable. You still may have it, but it's important to get that shit checked. I'm going to go every six months and I'm going to have my wife check my back once a month. Cause I don't know what the hell is going on back there. You know? And, and melanoma isn't some giant, nasty, oozing thing that's going to cause you pain. I mean, eventually it will, but by then it's too late. I didn't even know how melanoma worked. I mean, those cells begin to migrate from the surface of the skin inwardly, and they start to invade other areas. From lymph nodes, they get in your lymph system, they go to your brain, they go to your bones, they go everywhere. They go to your liver. All started by that little freaking thing that's on your skin. So if you spot it and you get rid of it before it can begin its inward migration, it saves your life. So if you aren't getting checked and you're over 40, really over 30, really anyone should get checked, especially in this day and age. So many people out there worshiping the sun, so many people getting in tanning beds. And I had a lot of sun when I was a kid, back before they even knew how bad the, 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 it was healthy if you had a tan. So uh, get checked at least once a year. Check yourself. And you need someone to check your back. Unless you got some mirror that you're going to hold over your shoulder, you need someone to check your back once a month and get to the doctor at least once a year. Because you could save your life. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know what I would have. I mean, I, I would have, you know, I, the thinking was if this thing was melanoma, it was likely stage zero where you just have to go back in and take out some more flesh around where it was to make sure that there aren't any microscopic cells that have trickled through but there's still a chance that it trickled through that's the thing there's still a chance that 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 bastard invaded and is in the process of invading and it's 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 one thing to get like pancreatic cancer the problem with pancreatic cancer is by the time you have symptoms it's too late to do anything about it you can't spot it easily you can't catch it early you can catch this early skin colon prostate for women, breast cancer. 
and other types of cancer, cervical cancer, you get screened for that. Just get screened. You know, even though cancer doesn't have a quote-unquote magic cure, some pill you take and everything's fine, and for some cancers, the treatment is painful and awful, and there's an uphill climb, there are plenty of cancers that can be caught early. There are plenty of cancers that can be prevented altogether. You got a polyp in your colon that they find with a colonoscopy, they pop out the polyp and it never becomes a, a, a tumor. So people are counting on you. I know it's a pain. I know it's unpleasant. I know you'd rather not do it. And I know that so many people, especially men, are wired to just stay away from the doctor. You'd rather not know. Isn't that weird that we're that way? You'd rather not know what's wrong with you and just enjoy your life blissfully and then just die. Eh, you know what? I'm going to die anyway. I'd rather not know. Or they think if they don't know, it's not real. You need to know. You got people counting on you, whether it's kids, whether it's a spouse, whether it's your dog, family members, friends. So don't think about yourself. Think about them. If you want to do it for yourself, do it for the people who would be dramatically affected by you not being around. And it's easy to do, and it's simple to do. So do it. All right, that's it for today's PFTPM podcast. We'll be back on Monday. Answering questions, keeping you updated on everything that's happened in the National Football League. We're getting closer and closer to the PFT Live hiatus. Two more weeks, and then we shut it down. But PFTPM, that's that's how PFTPM got started. During a hiatus a couple of years ago, I wanted people to have content on the PFT Live podcast feed, so I started doing an afternoon podcast, and it was a half hour. Whatever happened to the half hour? I mean, it's freaking 80 minutes today. I'm going back to a half hour, folks. I don't think you want to listen to 80 minutes. And apparently, I would say I don't want to do any minutes, but shit, I do it all the time. All right. On Monday, I'm going to start scaling it back. Monday, 45 minutes, no more, no less. And we're going to work it back down to a half hour. That's going to be the goal. And I probably will fail. We'll find out on Monday. Everybody have a great weekend. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.